adventurers, this is Trey and Ashley Hall, and you're listening to the Train for Adventure podcast, the show that shares adventure stories and fitness tips for people who want to explore more of the beautiful world they live in. This week's featured hiking destination resides in the mighty Grand Canyon. The destination, while recommended for a day hike down the South Kaibab Trail by the Park Service, is a fun but incredibly challenging adventure. Its name, Skeleton Point, portrays the challenge well. Hiking to and from Skeleton Point is six miles, takes four to five hours, has an average grade of 10%, and descends 2,060 feet. Those that are prepared for the journey will be rewarded by incredible views of the massive canyon and a first glimpse of the Colorado River. Trey and I are excited to not only share how to prepare for this hike, but how to build your fitness from where you currently are to being able to take on this adventure. Morning, Trey. Good morning. (laughs) How are you today? I'm doing so well. Great. Yeah. I'm so excited to jump into this one. This, yeah. uh, we love the Grand Canyon. It's like, oh, I can't wait to go back. Oh my gosh. I know. Already planning that return trip and to do more. Like this, this one was so hard. So much more. But to but. do an even harder one. But uh, let's jump into the South Kaibab hiking the skeleton point. Um, first off, like, how do you access that within the Grand Canyon? So I believe it's Yaki Point. And that you can take a shuttle from the visitor center or any of the other parking lots that are around there. Um, that are at least there are connected to the orange route. Yes. And that that shuttle will take you to the trailhead for this this trail. Uh, the thing is, is that there uh, you can't park at the trailhead. Right. Um, that it is only accessible by shuttle. Uh, even though there is a a parking lot up there so if you're like looking around on like google maps or something <laughs> um don't expect to park there because right that's it's a closed lot um and honestly the shuttle service is fantastic that oh, it yeah. runs it runs from like early oh, from like 5 a.m up until like 8 yeah. p.m pretty consistently like every 10 or 15 minutes that yep. there's going to be another shuttle coming um whenever we were there i don't know if it's still this way uh, I'm pretty sure that they still require you to wear a mask when on the shuttle. I'm not sure. I think they still do. I think I mm-hmm. saw that on the site. Yeah. Yeah. So that that is something just to be aware of, that they will not allow you on without one. Yeah. Um, so they do offer them, um, but just be prepared for that you, if, you, if you go. You can hike or bike in. Uh, I know that. So there's a, it's not a parking lot per se, but the drive that goes in, Desert View Drive, there's a little piece where the rim trail meets kind of at the road right after Yaki Point Road. And you can park in those parking spots. They're, they're well-defined. And then yes. you could hike from there on the rim trail over to uh, where the South Kaibab starts. And then you could also bike. You just I, I know I remember seeing bike... Um, spots at the trailhead as well yes yeah you can definitely do that um but yeah it access is very very easy and then once you're on trail there's no question at all about which direction or where you're supposed to be going (laughs) uh because it's the grand canyon that there's going to be a well-defined path and anything that's not the path definitely does not look like somewhere you want to walk oh for sure yes and don't try it yeah don't try doing that um so before we went down into the canyon i did want to talk about amenities 
that there is a vault toilet up at the trailhead and there's also only one other on the trail which is at cedar ridge yes Uh, so you do want to make sure that you're prepared for that because it's a mile and a half to cedar ridge which doesn't sound that far but realize that you are going to be moving pretty slowly within the canyon right those steps are um while it is a very nice well-maintained trail they are kind of pitted out a little bit because it is still used for mules too and we'll talk a little bit more about that later Mm -hmm. but um so yeah and then water there's none on the trail past the trailhead and at the trailhead we had access to it that they had water at the time that we were there but it is seasonal so you do want to get it at the visitor center if you didn't prior to getting to the grand canyon yeah if you're going during warmer months they will have it but um just be aware that it's probably going to be fairly busy at those sources and so Mm -hmm. don't just expect to uh just get it whenever you get there I'd still recommend going ahead and bringing your water in Definitely. with you. That way you can just go ahead and get started whenever you're ready rather than having to wait for water or, you know, yeah, whatever. And bring at least three liters. I think that they typically recommend four for this one, um, but at least three. Yeah. A, a general recommendation for hiking in uh warmer conditions like this and especially whenever you're straining yourself is at least a liter of water an hour yeah so if it's going to take four then four is what you should should bring yeah but okay let's jump into the journey of walking down it like what was it like how did we how did we like it (laughs) honestly i thought it was pretty easy going down and that's something that we had kind of talked about as we were doing it was that you had heard a lot of people say that they thought that going into the canyon was harder than coming back out of it just because your how much eccentric loading there is just how mm-hmm. much descent there is how steep it is the fact that it is um putting more strain on your knees to, yeah. to take a step down than it does to take a step up um that a lot of people made a comment about that and we did not feel that way at all um, but i do believe that's because we train that yes that decentric loading yes often yes and um so that was that was something i was kind of surprised about was how easy it really did feel going into the canyon um that being said the route is pretty um pretty worn right Mm -hmm. there in the center of it because of the mules um and just simply because of the amount of people that are taking this this trail um, so the center of it is real worn and then there are like log steps that are yeah. spaced kind of awkwardly, weird, awkwardly, <laughs> uh, distance, awkward distances apart. So it's not like you're just stepping down one and then the other. It is stepping down one, taking a step, stepping down the next one. You're stepping so onto you're, it. Yeah. To so step you're, on. so you're stepping down with the same leg <laughs> yeah. over and over and over and over and over again, just the way they're, they're uh, set apart so that was something that was a little uh, annoying about it but um, you know you can shuffle your steps and whatever and and deal with that mm-hmm. um, 
And trekking poles could definitely help with that, that decentric loading for individuals. Yes. Uh, if you if you do feel that that's going to be the hardest part of your yeah. hike. That and it's also going to give you just better balance that, you know, as as a result of how the trail is worn, mm -hmm. some of the some of the steps, some of the footing is a little little awkward. And so just having a couple more points of contact, having three points of contact, um, the majority of the time would help uh, as, as, you, as you hike. Yeah. That is something that we saw the vast majority of people bring with them that yes. we did not use at all. Uh, the next time we go into the canyon, we we'll probably, <laughs> probably will have uh, trekking poles. I'd say probably 95% of people had trekking poles. Yeah. Uh, and not that, was, that, we that didn't seemed to be regardless well. of how far they were going. Yeah. Not that we didn't do well without them, but I mm -hmm. do feel that our experience would have been elevated had we had yeah. had them. Like we still had a wonderful so if time. So you, if you don't really understand the benefit of having them, supposedly trekking poles are supposed to help take up to 30% of the load off your legs mm -hmm. just simply by using them properly now there is a little bit of technique to using them and i recommend that you learn how to use them before breaking them out out of their packaging right. at the grand canyon being like all right let's do <laughs> this thing <laughs> um, because then it, they wouldn't be as effective as they would be otherwise definitely but yeah hiking down i don't same i didn't feel that that was super strenuous and the views all the way down were amazing Ooh ah point was your first like sweeping view of the canyon and we mm. were there at sunrise to beat the heat <laughs> for one even though we were there in march it still warmed up because it warms up what what was it it warms up um five and a half degrees every, every thousand feet that you descend. yes so at skeleton point it's going to be 11 degrees warmer at the same time of day than, than it rim. is at the rim yeah uh so that is that is significant and we wore layers in and quickly shedded those off as we yeah, went down. I, I dressed too warmly going in. And so I was I was sweating pretty significantly on our, our way back out. But that, that's my own fault. Um, that is probably another thing to consider is that because there is such little vegetation and no shade and that you are exposed... That if you are hiking in the morning, uh, and it is a little bit cool, don't pack you're gonna warm nearly, up fast. Yeah, don't pack very warmly, uh, like as warmly as you would if you were just standing around. Um, that I brought, I wore a puff jacket, and I really didn't need to do that. I just really needed just a light um, windbreaker or yeah. you know just a light long sleeved shirt to to wear into the canyon instead. And definitely in the winter, it's going to be a little bit different, you know, that those temperatures will be low enough that you might need something, a, a little so bit heavier of a in, jacket, but even not in, much. Even in those instances, though, instead of wearing a coat, I'd still probably just recommend like... Layers. Well, protecting your extremities. Oh, you know, gloves. Wearing, wearing a beanie, wearing maybe a buff or a face mask or something, mm -hmm. if that helps protect your nose, if you're like me, that your nose gets real cold. Uh, and gloves. Yeah. I'd recommend doing that over just... Um, Great point. Packing extra, like, like a coat, something that's going to be bulkier once you're done with it. Because you're going to be done with it pretty quickly. <laughs> yes. And all but we the coldest were. months of the, the year. <laughs> uh, yes. So, moving down into the canyon more. Um, 
as we said, the, the grade is 10%. So that's on average. It actually becomes greater the closer you get to skeleton point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next stopping point after Ooh was Cedar Ridge, which is halfway. And we mentioned that that's the only other place for a restroom and there's no water there. But it is a really nice place to stop. Uh, and just catch your breath and eat something and hydrate. Um, so they do have a couple of vault toilets there. I think maybe three. But yep. the thing is, is that there was already no toilet paper oh, or yeah. toiletries or anything at the those bathrooms by the time we got there. And it was at like eight in the morning. Yes. So so bring a little bit of those items with you. Bring some yeah. wipes, um, some sanitizing wipes for your hands and some toilet paper would be a good idea. Yeah. So just, just be aware of that, that just because it's there may not necessarily mean that it is completely stocked. Yes. <laughs> uh, because it's in the canyon, it's hard to get stuff to it. Yeah. And I think they had some later there after the rangers had come through because they will sporadically come through uh, and hike the canyon themselves to be able to check on people as they're going through it. Yeah, give weather reports and recommendations. If it's going to be in the summer months, uh, a lot of people underestimate the fact that it is going to be 25 degrees warmer at the Mm -hmm. river than it is at the rim. And it's already going to be, you know, 90 degrees at the rim. Yeah. So... um, that is something that you have to be acutely aware of is just how quickly it warms up and how much it warms up as you get into the canyon. Yes. And the thing is that once you turn around and start coming back out, um, you're going to be tired, much more tired than you realize you oh, are. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But I, I thought it was really nice to see the rangers on on the route uh, whenever we were there and they were asking, they were getting asked questions and they were answering them. So it was really awesome to be able to see that in, in play. Yeah, they're, they're very helpful. Yeah. So then continuing on from Cedar Ridge, you walk around O'Neill Butte, um, which is, you can actually see it from the South Rim at, uh, was it Matterpoint Overlook, I think, that we got to see like the whole whole trail that we did which was pretty awesome it was very cool yeah yeah so i recommend once you're done with this trail go to matter point so you can see where you hiked down uh down that butte um but then from there uh it's not much further to skeleton point which again like i said offers those awesome um first views of the colorado river down below and made you want to go further, but they do not recommend going further than Skeleton Point on a day hike. And I totally understand once we started going back up. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessarily the distance. It's just the fact that you are climbing nonstop once yes. you are done. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned, that percent grade from Skeleton Point going back up is actually the that's the highest grade. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of decreases as you go. So... Um, yeah, getting back out, we didn't do any recording because I was struggling <laughs> coming back out of there. But it was also for for other reasons um, that, that I was having a hard time getting through that. But, yeah, you had a rough time that day. Yes, exactly. But we did it. We kept a steady pace. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't worry about breaking any sort of speed record, you know, just one foot in front of the other. We found a, actually a hiking group that we just kind of kept pace with. Yeah, that was really nice. Uh, and they're all <laughs> older people, and so they weren't in any real hurry. And so we just kind of walked behind them, and that helped us kind of establish how quickly we were going. Um, and they're like, hey, you can pass us. And we're like, no, we're good here. We're good here. 
<laughs> you guys are going the, exactly the speed we want to go. This is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that is something to be aware of as well. It's just that uh, if you're unfamiliar with hiking up a steep grade, that a slow and a very slow and steady pace is often going to be more sustainable mm-hmm. and in the end quicker than if you are just attacking that hill. Oh yeah, definitely. And Especially if you're doing anything at elevation above. So the Grand Canyon is not, the, at least the South Rim, is not above 8,000 feet. But anything above that, you really want to take your time. So even but with this one, thing, I would is say, if you're so, this one. someone from Missouri where you're used to, <laughs> you know, 1,400 feet. Yes, this is uh, still going to be a big drastic change if you're around, you know, the seven that yeah, South Rim is. There is something like 17% less oxygen at that elevation. Right. So just be aware that you are going to get out of breath faster. Your heart rate is going to um, spike higher and faster than it would at sea level so uh, just be aware of those things and if possible you'd want to spend a a day and sleep at a comparable uh, elevation the day before you do this Mm -hmm. Um, instead of uh, flying in phoenix driving up to the canyon and then and then doing the trail because phoenix is at fairly low elevation i think it's under a thousand feet um, so then you're gaining 6,000 feet right? just to get to so the rim. So stay around like Flagstaff yeah. or yeah. Williams So Flagstaff would be good like because you're already <laughs> going to be at a similar elevation. Yeah. So anyway, um, that is something just to be aware of that a lot of people don't consider that. Yes. They don't think that the canyon is at elevation. They just kind of think that, oh, it goes a mile into the ground. That, that's true. <laughs> but... It's also, even at the river, is still 2,000 feet above sea level. Right. So it is, uh, it's something that you have to be aware of, is that if you are not used to it, elevation is a factor there. Mm -hmm. Before we, I want to move into how do you train for this hike, but before we do, I did want to touch on, I had mentioned that there are mules on this trail. They are not used for uh, tourists, like on this one? On this particular one. That if they're... you loop around over mm-hmm. to Bright Angel, then they will be carrying people. Yes. And so you will see them more often on that one. But the mule trains on the South Kaibab are just for resource purposes. So they carry stuff in down to the river and they carry stuff out. Typically, they're going to be there mid-morning. Uh, and then you're really not going to see them beyond that. And when you do pass, um, there are some like precautions to take that they they are not aggressive animals by nature, um, but they can bite. <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, give just, them space, yeah, just like you would move any off other to the animal. side of the trail, listen to the individual that is on that mule or that is taking that mule up. They will tell you uh, what you are to do in that instance. Yeah, listen to the handler. Yeah, if you're behind the handler, you're following them. Um, you're just going to have to wait <laughs> until they allow you to pass because the trail is only four feet wide, which that is, that's pretty wide, but with a big animal like that, you don't have nearly as much space. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that, but let's go into the fitness aspect because that's what Trey and I are super excited about sharing with you is how can you get from your current level of fitness to being able to tackle this one and enjoy it. Um, so Trey. Can you dive into that for us? Yeah. So if you are training indoors, 
And you're trying to decide what cardio machine would be best to train for a hike at the Grand Canyon. I would recommend using a treadmill. And the reason why I recommend a treadmill over something like a stair climber is that a stair climber doesn't really train your ankles and your calves like a treadmill at an incline does. Mm -hmm. That whenever you're walking uphill on a or at an incline on a treadmill, your heel ends up going below the height of your toes. And that puts a lot of strain on your Achilles tendon and your calves. And if you're not training that part of, uh, of a hike, then whenever you actually get on trail, that is going to limit mm. you. That's going to yeah. make you feel uh, uncomfortable or it, you're, it's going to wear out very quickly. You're going to have to stop and rest a lot more often yeah. if you're only doing something like uh, box steps and mm. stair climb, stair climber and stuff like that. You're more susceptible to injury because you haven't placed those ligaments, those tendons yeah. in they that They have position. to get strengthened like as they well. They need to know what yeah. that feels like, right? Yeah. That They have to get strengthened as well. It's not just about being able to put one foot in front of the other mm-hmm. and, and, and step up higher with each step. It's not just about that. So I'd recommend using a treadmill if you're, if you're stuck uh, working in a, in a gym or at home rather than um, being able to get out on trail. So our first milestone would simply be maybe if you're starting from ground zero that you have no base level of fitness right mm-hmm. now, um, that you don't really do anything at all. The first thing would just be to get on that treadmill and walk at a 10% incline if you can handle it. If not, an incline that is going to challenge you, but that you can move at consistently and hike it for just a mile to a mile and a half. Now, at a walking pace, two and a half miles an hour, that's going to take you 24 minutes a mile. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to take a little bit of time, but so is hiking in the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, So so that's like the first step, the first milestone that we'd want you to have. If you can already do that and you know that's for a fact, next step might be that you could consistently walk uh, one to one and a half miles at that 10% incline within 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So if you are, if your goal is the, the just one mile within 30 minutes, that's only two miles an hour. Um, but that is a pretty sustainable pace that Ashley and I, whenever we were in the Canyon, I think we were hiking around 2.3 miles per hour. Yeah. Um, just because there's a lot of other people out there. And also that was a pace that allowed us to to, to keep moving and feel good without without we blowing ourselves up. Yeah. Um, so next milestone would be two to three miles at a ten to twelve percent incline. So just doing the ten percent incline is, is great, but a twelve going up a little bit higher than that to twelve, some treadmills might even do like fifteen percent. You don't necessarily have to do that great of a uh, incline, but increasing that a little bit will help prepare you for some of those steeper sections. Mm-hmm. And doing that 10 to 12 percent incline for two to three miles within 45 minutes. So trying to speed up a little bit, um, getting your time down to that 22 and a half uh, minute mile, uh, or even into a 15 minute mile, which is a pretty quick pace Mm -hmm. but that is going to help you develop that aerobic capacity better 
uh, and translate into a, an actual hike on trail better than if you're only doing comfortably, the bare minimum. Yeah, comfortable yeah. paced hikes. Right. And then our last milestone would be to hike three to four miles on a challenging trail with climbs and descents within an hour and a half to two hours. So the reason why we only have you going up to four miles, even though this is a six mile trail, is that you really don't necessarily have to train the same distances Mm -hmm. that you're going to be, uh, I don't want to say competing at, but that that your test is at, you know, that your goals are at. About two thirds of it is usually a good training distance um, when it comes to to mileage. That's going to help not only um, is it more achievable, Mm -hmm. that it's uh, easier to get a four-mile hike in than it is a six-mile hike because it takes less time and it it takes less planning and work and all this other stuff. But uh, it still prepares your body to push into that that extra couple of miles yes so you still get the training benefit that you're still going to see improvements into those higher uh, mile ranges even though you're only doing about two-thirds of it so that's that's really why um, that's as far as we have you going if you're doing longer hikes than that and you're doing hikes that are steep and rocky and maybe the the footing is um, a little questionable at times then you're probably going to be fine hiking to Skeleton Point uh, in the Grand Canyon. Now, something that I, I would say about like any sort of training plan or fitness regimen that you're going to do for this is that you can find like fitness programs to build into hikes online. And the thing about us, uh, a lot of the ones I see is that some of the recommendations they make for people are are not well thought out or based in um, actual strength training principles. Mm-hmm. So like one that I found was like a 12-week program that started people off doing like, I think every week they did like three days of running at different intensities. One day they did like walk, run, walk, and then other days mm-hmm. it would be like a fast, short run. And then Saturdays they do a long, slow run. And then on Wednesdays, they do lunges. And so they started off at like 150 lunges. And then by the end of the 12 weeks, they were supposed to be doing 1,000 lunges in in this workout. (laughs) And it's just like, that is just way more volume than is necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, I think by week four or something, they were already doing 500 lunges in a workout. And it's just... It's unnecessary that even though uh, a forward lunge, a walking lunge, has a lot of that um, eccentric loading, that it's going to load your knees, it's going to help you learn how to decelerate and control your weight, that it's going to carry over pretty well to hiking downhill, you don't need to do that many. That a thousand in a single workout is going to take you a while. Yeah. It's going to leave you very sore, and it's probably it, it's probably tearing you down more than it's building you up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a point of diminishing returns. Yes. And just being able to do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so this this training plan was for a harder hike in the canyon, but it was that it's something that I still see come up in other other things pretty frequently for endurance athletes and for people who are even just getting started and want to do more adventurous things. Yeah. That you want to keep things in balance. That it's not always just about doing this one magic exercise that's going to cure all of your problems. Um, that if you were only doing those lunges as that was your only strengthening exercise out of all the running that you were doing, um, I think you'd end up having some pretty significant um, foot and knee and possibly hip pain as mm. well if you did not manage it very well. And just the way it was built, I, I think that's where most people would end up. So what you're saying is there are training <clears throat> programs out there. They're not all going to benefit you. So you do have you, to you'd filter see gains. those. You'd see gains. You'd see yeah. improvements, but it might come at a cost. Yeah. Um, and so you have to filter through uh, and, and that's challenging if you're not, if you don't really know what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, and that's where we are creating a program. Um, and we're excited to launch that within the next month for you guys. Um, and so it'll be called train for adventure and we will make sure <laughs> that you are doing more of the strength-based training in conjunction with these milestones, right? That you're building up to that two-thirds distance, you're finding a confident um, pace for yourself in that and that you feel like you could do that consistently over time. And when we mean consistently, it doesn't mean that you need to be doing, working to that milestone, you know, three days a week. It could just be a couple days a week. Like typically we're going to do our distance, you know, two, maybe two days a week tops really, I feel like. Um, and then the other days for us are, are typically strength training, mm -hmm. uh, along with some different capacities, some aerobic and anaerobic training in conjunction with that as well. We're trying to make ourselves well-rounded so that we're able to take on any piece of the journey that we need to. We're not just focusing on one portion of it. Well, it goes beyond even just like functionality. It's just like I enjoy lifting weights. I enjoy getting stronger because it makes other parts of my life easier. But also, like, I like the way it makes me look too. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, it, it, there is a little bit of that vanity aspect in there too. Um, so, overall, I, you could kind of distill down what we're doing into it. It's a, a sort of a hybrid approach. Yes. The, a hybrid approach is that you're going to be training endurance and strength simultaneously. Uh, a lot of programs for that are going to be focused on um, powerlifting. So you're going to be lifting very, very, very heavy and also running very, very, very long distances. And this is um, maybe a little more practical, tamed down version yes. of that, that People who want to do those things, they would be able to do that within this program. Um, but but it, is, that... it is mostly geared towards people like you and me or everyday people who only want to spend maybe an hour at the most yes. working out a day. And most days it's going to be like 30 to 40 minutes. Yes. And that you want to start from the level of fitness that you are currently at. That you're not just coming in 
having a lot of background in fitness that you yeah. could build up into that. Yeah. Um, but getting back to the trail and training for this, in conjunction with those milestones that Trey was talking about, those four that he went over, when you're using the treadmill, I know you mentioned this to me and I wanted to make sure we said it, that don't hold on to the rails. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is something I see very frequently is someone putting a, a treadmill on a steep incline and then holding on to the handrails and like leaning back as mm-hmm. they as they hike up that incline. That's not doing anything. They, by holding on to the handrails, you're leveling yourself out and that your body becomes like perpendicular with the treads again. Yeah. It's and not the same as using trekking poles because I think no. there, people might try to say, well, oh, well, I'll be using trekking poles. It's not the same. Yeah. You're not at the same angle. Yeah. yeah. And also, if you're going to be carrying a pack into the canyon, right. we recommend that you work that in as well. Now, your pack shouldn't weigh very much. You, there's no reason for you to carry a 30-pound pack on no. a day hike into the canyon. Right. Um, you know, so it, it's probably only going to be like maybe 10, 15 pounds at the most. So if you have a, a backpack or if you have your hydration pack, whatever you're going to take with you, make sure you load that up with some, some sort of weight or mm-hmm. even just putting water in your pack, um, and hiking with it, that that is going to, that's going to really make sure that you're fully prepared for the challenge that yeah. you're going to experience there. Yeah. And expose yourself to the elements uh, as best you can. I know yeah. that's really challenging because... That is definitely part of it. Here um, in Missouri, <laughs> we are in more of a humid environment, so it's hard for us to understand what it might be in that dry environment at a higher elevation. Mm-hmm. We are definitely way lower. Um, so for us, it's, it's challenging to do that, but thankfully the humidity kind of gives that vibe anyway. Um, but if you're going to be there in the summer... Definitely doing some hikes in the summer, increase, increasing the time that you spend out there in that heat. Um, still being safe about it. You still want to make sure you're hydrated, um, that you're getting your electrolytes in. Yeah. Um, but you need to expose yourself to those things. Uh, and the cold as well. That's That goes the same way. Yeah, so if you're going to be there in the summer and the first time you you exert yourself in the heat is in the canyon, you're going to have a bad time. Oh, yeah, so, definitely. So make sure you train for that as well that you don't just do everything indoors in the comfort of your gym or your home yeah we heard a story on trail someone was saying how they had found somebody that um went into um they had heat exhaustion mm-hmm. actually beyond that point yeah uh, and they had to help revive them back on trail like, yeah. and and the thing about the grand canyon is that it is very hard to rescue people in there um people the get summer, rescued all yeah. the time and and typically it is during the heat season mm-hmm. um so just, which is which starts early yeah it starts in like april yeah if you are feeling through september fatigued, or october if you have any headaches if um if you're you are, dizzy if you feel if yeah. you feel like your skin is cold if you stop sweating yeah you need if, to stop if you're confused cool down yeah. hydrate get some electrolytes in and then return you do yeah. not need to continue on further um, because the, the more that you get into that state of heat exhaustion, the easier it is to get back into it. And then it eventually can lead into something bigger, like a heat stroke. Um, and so we, we don't want that to happen to you. Yeah. But, it's less than ideal. Yeah. Anyway, this is an amazing hike. We hope that you guys got so much out of this. Uh, if you didn't, <laughs> please let us know what you would like to hear about how to prepare for these, uh, these hikes. 
Trey, do you have anything else to add before we close up? I don't believe so. Let's do this thing. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. If you guys want to know more about this trail, visit our website, www.trainforadventure.com. We've written a hiking to skeleton point blog for you that includes the trail's location, access, maps, how to warm up for it, recover, and train for that hike as well. But until next time, friends, we'll see you out there on those adventures. Bye. Bye.